We all know people that speak fluent foolishness, and that particularly is true in certain arenas like chat rooms about supplements on the internet. So it can be challenging to decide which supplement to buy. So if you decide, I do want to use creatine, and I'm not recommending that to anybody, but if your goals and why you're doing something and what you want to achieve aligns with using creatine and you're going to use it anyway, you should know which one to buy. And the first thing to say is that it's not like buying airline tickets. So all creatine should be pretty cheap, meaning you can get several months supply really for under $10. Now there's a lot of types of creatine out there and the one that is most popular as well as usually the cheapest and I think has the best safety record is creatine monohydrate. Now how can I say it has a safety record? Is that bro science and just everybody at the gym being like, hey man, it's good. No, there's actually data on this and even the International Society of Sports Nutrition took a positional stand and they call that article the safety and efficacy of creatine supplementation in exercise, sport, and medicine. And that was published in June of 2017. And the journal you can find that article in is the Journal of the International Society of Sports Nutrition. And they try and sum up the studies that are available. And what they say is these studies provide a large body of evidence that creatine can not only improve exercise performance, but can play a role in preventing or reducing the severity of injury, enhancing rehabilitation from injuries, and helping athletes tolerate heavy training loads. They go on to say that these studies show that short and long-term supplementation up to 30 grams a day for five years is safe and well-tolerated in healthy individuals and in a number of patient populations ranging from infants to the elderly. Now, again, I am not recommending this for any pediatric population, and I don't do pediatrics at all. And while this might have changed, I know at least a couple years ago, the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American College of Sports Medicine advised against use of creatine in people under the age of 18. I think except for special circumstances like muscular dystrophy in some areas where it may be helpful or at least is being studied as potentially being helpful. And so that's interesting because there are a lot of internet articles from real news sources like CBS and the New York Times where pediatricians have gotten really upset about creatine use by kids. And I followed those to some degree over the years. And it's interesting that they never use data. And I know there are a subset of pediatricians who are fighting back against that and saying, this may be overblown. We really aren't seeing cases of kidney failure or liver failure with creatine. And if you are, please show us those cases so we can make informed decisions. But I think, again, there's a lot of emotional content that comes to this. And then the other problem, of course, which I've talked about many of my muscle lectures is, if a kid's using creatine or an adult's using creatine, but on top of that, they're using anabolic steroids, growth hormone, uh, diuretics, thyroid medications inappropriately, all kinds of stimulants, and the list can go on and on. And one of the products they happen to be using is creatine. I think it's really hard and really bad science and misinformed to say it's the creatine that was the problem in those situations. Now, I can tell you that people that use creatine in really high dosages, and that's why I was a little bit surprised by what I just read, 
where it says people are using it up to 30 grams a day. I think that's just too much for most people, meaning I think almost everybody that uses 30 grams a day is typically going to have some gastrointestinal discomfort, diarrhea, bloating, and some other problems. And as a result, you can get dehydrated. And yes, if you get dehydrated, you can cause kidney issues. You know, pre-renal dehydration will cause kidney problems. And likewise, you won't perform as well athletically if you're not well hydrated. And you're not going to feel like performing as well athletically if you're having abdominal discomfort. And there are definitely people on small dosages of creatine that just say it's not worth it for them because they just feel like they get some gastrointestinal side effects or they don't feel well on it. And that N of 1 trial is good enough. There is no reason to take it if you don't feel it's benefiting you. But getting back to the type of creatine you should use if you're going to use it at all is creatine monohydrate because there's much more safety information for this type of form of creatine supplementation than any other form. And there are a lot of other forms out there on the market. Interestingly, those other forms, and there are several out there, are usually not only more expensive, but when they do go head-to-head in very small trials, and you know, usually some athletic department at a university or something, they don't get absorbed as well. The athletic improvement is actually usually less. So there's really no reason to buy these more expensive forms. So those include buffered creatine, creatine ethyl ester, creatine hydrochloride, liquid creatine, creatine magnesium chelate. But the one that is most prevalent out there and the most studied and also the cheapest is creatine monohydrate. So what exactly is creatine monohydrate? Well, creatine, as I said, is naturally produced in the human body. It's from the amino acids of glycine and arginine with an additional requirement of methionine. Methionine is used as a catalyst in making creatine in the body. But, of course, creatine is also synthetically made, which is the supplements that people buy of synthetically made creatine, which can be combined in different ways, including making creatine monohydrate. So the Latin root of mono is one. Hydro, of course, is water, or hydrate refers to water. So a hydrate containing one mole of water per a mole of the compound is a monohydrate. Therefore, creatine monohydrate is creatine attached to water. Now, here's the tough part. When people or labs or governments have looked into creatine as well as many other supplement products, they often find problems with contamination, meaning the manufacturing and the ingredients and the manufacturing process wasn't as good as the people who make it claim it is. Now, supplements by no means are the only thing that falls into that category. This happens to Western prescribed medications. You know, I prescribe tons of medications because I'm a hospital-based physician, and we are always having to change up our medications because something was pulled off the market because it contained a contaminant or in a worst case scenario, glass or something crazy like that. I wish I could tell you this is the go-to brand of creatine that you should use, but I don't really trust anybody 100% completely. But nevertheless, I'm going to put in a plug and I get no money from this. I am not supported by any supplement brand. I don't even meet with pharmaceutical representatives for 
well over a dozen years, probably more than that. But there is a type of creatine called Crea Pure, and this comes from Germany. And while it is a manufactured brand of creatine, it is in a lot of different creatine supplements. So meaning there's a lot of different U.S. companies and European companies and companies all over the world that buy Creapure to put in their brand name of creatine. And I think you should look for Creapure when you're buying creatine, particularly since it's such a cheap product in general. And those jars of creatine that you buy with the powder in them that you can mix basically into anything, your protein drink or other drinks, those jars will say Creapure on it because they're paying extra to have this standard of creatine. And while I won't vouch for any company anywhere in the world in any field, because I know any of them can be corrupted, it does seem with Creapure that they have very regular internal and external quality controls to make sure that their product is more pure. And you know, it's Germany, so never ask a German how many Germans it takes to change a light bulb because they'll just tell you we're efficient and we don't have humor. And then they'll tell you to get back to work. The exception to that is German tourists on vacation and pretty much every country I've ever visited to, there's always a bunch of German tourists that stay up all night drinking and they don't care if anybody else around them isn't going to sleep. It's just what they do. And I realize it's a bit biased to say something about an entire population, but I think the next thing I'm saying is true, which is you cannot interrupt a German. Can't be done. But they do make creatine over there in the form of Creapure, and my suggestion is if you're going to buy a brand, it's one that you should look into. But again, I won't vouch for any safety of any brand, including that one. Just trying to give a little bit of guidance because I know these things can be challenging, even though I think in general, a good rule in life, probably for me especially, would be to take a vow of silence because everything's becoming a microaggression to somebody. And again, no guarantees with anything I say. And especially what I'm about to say is probably going to piss off a lot of so-called gurus, but how much creatine should you take? I think you should just take five grams a day. Now you can do the whole loading thing of 20 grams a day for five to seven days, but I think a lot of people get bloating and GI side effects, and I don't really see why it's so important to load so quickly. Do you really need to shock the body into something new that you're taking or just let it build up a little bit over time? I find that I'm not as civilized when I'm in a hurry with things, but if you are in a hurry and want to load, my strong suggestion is that you also stay very, very hydrated. And listen to your body. He who sows hurry often reaps indigestion and pull back or hold off for a couple days and start a lot lower. Okay, so I want to circle back a little bit to the end of the last episode on creatine. And I was starting to talk about how creatine works. And I was talking about ATP, this 3-phosphate group molecule that helps be the energy source, the supply source, the battery, if you will, of the muscles. And if ATP gets depleted, your muscles lose a very important energy source. So the quicker you can get that ATP back in action, you know, back up to better levels, you're going to be able to use more muscle, particularly in high intensity sports and weightlifting and sprinting, that sort of thing. 
So when ATP starts to run low in a muscle and gets converted from ATP to ADP, diphosphate, you want to get back to that triphosphate and creatine transfers back this phosphate group to ADP and converts it back to ATP. There are other energy sources in the body for muscles to use, including glucose, you know, glycolysis or fat, such as fatty acid oxidation. But ATP is a really important one for the muscles to use, particularly in high intensity. Now, as I previously said in the other lecture, everything tends to have more than one effect. Just like aspirin can be used to thin the blood, it can also be used for pain. Creatine does other things, and particularly on the muscle. Also on the brain, like I said, there is neurocognitive benefits, at least in a subset of people that use creatine like vegetarians is what we're seeing in the literature so far. Creatine also seems to raise some anabolic hormones such as IGF-1, but not a ton. And again, that's why the Olympics allow creatine to be used. It's not like you're turning on a bunch of androgens and anabolics. I've talked a bit about the emotional aspect of creatine, particularly by those who don't use it meaning there's a lot of people out there who automatically equate it with anabolic hormones, and it has a very small effect on that. Um, so I don't think it's a major deal regarding those issues. But there may continue to be some science that shows some increased anabolic hormones. We do know that there is reduced protein breakdown, and this increases total muscle mass by decreasing muscle protein breakdown. And then there is experimental data showing that creatine lowers myostatin. So myostatin inhibits muscle cell growth. Myostatin is looked at in certain disease processes like muscular dystrophy because if you could inhibit myostatin, it might help treat certain types of muscle wasting. And then there are animals and even some humans that lack myostatin genes and they become very muscular. So by creatine inhibiting myostatin, and I don't think it does it in a huge way, but it does to some degree, it's just another pathway by which it helps build muscle. Creatine also gets into your muscle cells, and then it increases the water content within your muscle cells, which causes the cell to increase its volume, to swell a bit. Not only does that make the muscle look bigger, and not only does that cause the water waking that's seen with creatine, that cell volumization may allow for the new formation of new proteins theoretically. Don't know if that's actually true and I don't think that's been proven yet, but a bigger cell may have more ability to do more things. And then there's a lot of other things like improved cell signaling between satellite cells. Satellite cells are very important for muscle growth. The satellite cells around muscles may also increase the mitosis of satellite muscle cells. And these satellite muscle cells can augment existing muscle fibers, and they can also help the muscle to form new fibers. So they are important. And there's no doubt there will be a lot more about how creatine works and some of its biochemistry functions that we don't know right now. And it's possible some of those things that we learn won't all be positive. You know, some people drink alcohol with the purpose of going out to make a bad decision, and some people use supplements to try and make themselves healthier. The most important thing is to try and make the most informed choice that you can. And if you do make a bad choice, it'll just be one of those things that your family uses to mock you at the Thanksgiving dinner table. It's how life goes. All right, well, this is Dr. Gil Parat. I will catch you on the next round.